guys. Hey. What's up? How are you all doing? Doing good. Oh, it makes yeah. me so happy. It feels like it's been like 10 years since we recorded last. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's been it's been bright and cheerful outside. The sun is starting to rise. Yeah, this is one of my favorite times of year because it's hot days and cold nights, and that's just mm. perfect for me. Yes. James likes those hot days and cold nights. Yeah. yeah. Fun fact, time. I have a series of erotic novels called Hot Days and Cold Nights. That's honestly, <laughs> James, I... I had a thought, but I wasn't going to make that joke, but you went there instead. I'm going to let James have it. Yeah, and all the books are just covers of men's abs. (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh, wow. If you ever go to a bookstore and you just like that's true. The romance you, section, that is a good point. It's just point. nothing but abs. That, not even a head. It's just abs. That is so true. That is so <laughs> utterly true. They need to write a romance novel that's about like the average man's abs. Yeah, mm. yeah. Dad bod fiction. <laughs> we'll call them flabs. <laughs> flabs. Oh man. We'll call uh, lukewarm days and freezing nights. Mm, there you go. I like it. Milk, milk toast nights. Milk toast nights. <laughs> what? Did... All right. You know what? We've gone. We've gone off topic here. Um, I'm glad, James, that you're doing well, listener. I hope that you're having the best day, though, because if you're listening, the day this came out, it's Thursday, which means it's a wonderful day. Mm-hmm. Today, what are we talking about, Alex? Uh, talking about White House secrets. Yeah, and this is our first draw from the elite Patreon. Listener base, mm-hmm. and the topic came in from Caitlin. So, Caitlin, thank you again for submitting this because this was a very interesting thing to look into. Mm-hmm. But James, did you did you have fun researching your topic? I did. It was uh, something I really didn't know a whole lot about. I'd heard passing things about, so it was a fun little dive. Is there anything you guys want to talk about before we get to our icebreaker? Hmm. Nope. Here. I've got something, James. I just heard you itch your beard. Yep. Um, when are you going to shave it for the summer? I'm thinking June 20th, the first day of summer. I think I'm going to hold out till then. He's wow. gonna he's gonna be a, a clean shaven man. He's gonna look like a little baby again. Yep. Yeah. You're gonna have to make it through early June with that beard. Oh, good luck, sir. Yeah, yeah. That's the only challenge. You know, so far it's not been like hot though. That's the weird thing. Like I, I expected it to be all like raising my body temperature. But you hardly notice it in terms of temperature. It's weird. Well, I can't speak for the temperature because I've never had a beard. But <laughs> all I think is whenever I see your beard, James, I think of Anchorman where he's drinking the milk outside and he just goes, milk was a bad choice. <laughs> oh, yeah. He that's it all in his beard. That's the worst thing about having a beard, actually. In fact, it's the only complaint I really have is eating food has become such a challenge. Like there are certain <laughs> things that I just can't have in public. I can't have avocado toast. I can't have... Ice cream. I can't have uh, chowder. Like it's just, it's not going to happen. I have to stick to sandwiches. You know, <laughs> chowder beard is gross. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, sir, you have you have clams and potatoes on your face. Oh my gosh, James. Some women might like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's an episode of Boy Meets World where the brother Eric has a really long beard, and he calls himself, I think it's Dances with Squirrels, but then he pulls a sucker out of his beard. James, could you hide food in your beard if you wanted? Easily. Little objects? Easily. I've thought about getting a hamster just so it can live in it. <laughs> a hamster. I was thinking something like a, a, a throwing star, but hamster go. works too. Yeah. Mm. Throwing <laughs> hamster. For, th- you could throw a hamster. That'd be horrifying. <laughs> uh, 13th floor does not advocate for throwing hamsters. No, no. <laughs> Please don't throw a hamster. Are we ready for our icebreaker? Yeah. Uh, what about uh, our listeners around the world? Oh, yeah, our listeners around the world. You know what? We should do that because we've got a lot of them. And I am very happy to report that we have a listener in a place that I didn't think that we would ever have a listener. And that is Bahrain. Hey. Oh, wow. Good deal. Yeah. So, hearty hello to, I, I'm assuming it's only a single listener in Bahrain. But Bahrain, you're making my world spin. Well, maybe they shared it with their whole family. That's true. Maybe maybe they all listened at the same time. Yeah. Oh, Bahrain. Uh, and then I'm going to rhyme here because we also have some listeners in Spain. Oh. <laughs> and then here in the US of A, we're going to say hello to everybody in Louisiana. Oh. Because we had a spike in activity in Louisiana. So we're going to say Michigan. I think I know uh, one of those listeners. So if, if so, shout out to that listener. Shout out. You know who you are. And if you don't, assume it's you. Assume <laughs> it's you. All right, guys. 
Are we ready to, to hop into our icebreaker? Yes, yeah. let's break the ice. Let's break it. And I, since we're talking about the White House, I came up with an icebreaker today. Okay. If you guys were running for president, do you think, number one, that you could win? And number two, what would be your your main platform <laughs> thing? Whatever it's called. My agenda. Main platform? Oh, man. Yeah. Oof, what would be dangerous. one thing where it's like, oh, Alex, he's going to come in and save blank. Oh, okay. All right. So if I'm running, I'm not going to win. <laughs> uh, I don't think any. I, there's. I'm going to pat myself on the back here. I don't think anyone that wins the presidency is a good person because you have to be so cutthroat and you have to do some pretty awful things probably behind the scenes. To get up there. Yeah, I couldn't do it um, as much as I joke about doing some awful things on here. And then if I ran on a platform, ooh, that would be tough because it's like, you know, I don't want to be political. <laughs> but I would probably run on, oh, you know what? I know how to win. How would you win? I would end daylight savings time. Oh, yay. <laughs> I like it. I would vote for that. Well, speaking back to your thing about politicians having to be terrible people, I, you know, I agree with that. I know somebody who tried to run for governor of a state and they were up against somebody. And next thing they knew, their family was getting threats and he ended up dropping out of the, the race because his family was being threatened. Mm-hmm. So you do have to do some pretty cutthroat things when you're. And that was just yeah. and, they were, and they were stalking them for like to get information on him too, yep. right? Yeah, yeah, they were. So, anyways, um, if I were running for president, which I would never do because why? Number one, I wouldn't win because I'm not well spoken enough. I don't think, and number two, I just don't care enough. But I think that my platform would probably be something probably environmental, mm. probably just kind of like not not as crazy environmental as some of the people are, but I don't know. Something to, to bring back our forests. I want our old world forests, James. Old yeah. world forests. Yeah. yeah, the big ones where it's like they reach all the way to the sky and you're just like, look at mm. that tree. I want to do battle with a jaguar in one of these forests. <laughs> like mano a mano. A jaguar in the United States of America? Yeah. I mean, I'm not poaching. I mean, this is like for survival. Because okay. the forests have run rampant because of your policies. They were so bad that the earth has taken back the U.S., no, Which no. is probably good for the earth, obviously. <laughs> but we still have to survive. So, so Alex would go head-to-head with a jaguar if I were to win the presidency. If you've seen The Grey, you know what I'm up against. This is my scenario. It's a Liam Neeson movie. I've seen it. You yeah. made me go see it with you in the theaters. Yeah, it was excellent. It was a good movie. Was- James, James, what about you? When I was a kid, there was a video game I played, a very obscure one, called Creatures 2. And in that game, you would uh, you would raise these little animals, and they they would learn and and develop. And it was a really interesting little life sim game. But I found that a lot of them would die prematurely because they were very weak. And I went online to search for an answer, and this was the early days of the internet. And everybody told me to do what's called a wolfing run. I was like, "What's that?" And they were like, "Well, basically, what you do is you just ignore them for days, which is like years for them." And uh, ultimately, it gets pared down to the strongest, and then you make do with them. So my campaign (laughs) slogan would be, most of you won't survive. And and it would be kind of like a wolfing run for the country. Wow. James, (laughs) do you think that I would survive? Probably. Or would I be in your your cabinet? I'll, I'll, I'll be rooting for you. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> he, and it ties in with yours. It's very anything. environmental. We'll have a lot of, of old growth forests by the by the end of that. It's a very okay. <laughs> it's a very Thanos approach. I can yeah. appreciate it. It is. It kind of scares me a little bit, which like I think I think about this sometimes. If somebody was scaring me, I would try to be their friend because then like maybe they won't be mean to me. Mm. That would be me and James in this scenario. Mm. I'd be like, I'll run for your vice president. Presidency James and James would be like, Come on over here, and then I'd be like, At least I won't be. The good thing is that his platform would probably not let him win. That's true, James. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry to tell you, I have a feeling you would you would lose an heart. You wouldn't even make it to the to the candidate like the you wouldn't be the candidate. <laughs> yeah, you never know. I'll there's there's gotta be a positive way to spin this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll reach out to your publicist. Yeah, lo- hey, cheap real estate. There we go. There you go. <laughs> I, I vow to make so much available for real estate on the market, you won't believe it. Mm. There you go. Oh, there's James uh, channeling his inner Vlad. Mm. Um, 
Okay. Okay. So, you guys, I think it's time to talk about, like, the White House now. Mm. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, okay. It's my turn. I'm going first. I already called it. So, don't try to don't try to hop on my train. Okay. So, our Patreon listener, Caitlin, my dear friend Caitlin, she specifically requested that we cover tunnels running underneath the White House, which, in my opinion, isn't, like, a huge surprise. Like, it's not that secret to me because mm-hmm. I would be more surprised if they didn't have secret tunnels. Yeah. But, anyways... The White House has been added upon and remodeled over all of the years of its existence to obscurity and then just overall function of the White House. Like they've added room to be like, oh, it's a ballroom. Everybody put on your ball gowns. Let's dance. Mm. So they've added a ton of stuff over the years. But in 1941, shortly after Pearl Harbor happened, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he built a bomb shelter underneath the East Wing of the building. So that if need be, he could dip out for a minute, you know, because there was some stuff going on. (laughs) And this is really the tunnel system, but kind of like a little shelter, I guess. Like there's obviously there's got to be a tunnel that runs to the little bomb shelter, right? Yeah, unless they just start digging as soon as the bombs start dropping. Like, (laughs) yeah, we didn't think this through. Let's dig now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there there is a tunnel that apparently runs from the White House to a little alleyway behind the Treasury Building, I think it, it is. And according to Atlas Obscura, it's a little alleyway off H Street. And you wouldn't hardly even notice it if there wasn't a ram-proof vehicle gate. And then there's like a little kiosk. This was called a kiosk. I used to always call them koisks. I don't know. Why. Really? <laughs> yeah. There's a little kiosk inside, like set into the building. And there's a... a secret service agent that works in there in a little bulletproof vest. So like if you didn't notice that you probably just walk past the street and not think anything of it, but it's actually goes to a little tunnel that goes back into the white house. <laughs> and I, there was a lot of information on Quora about secret tunnels, you guys. And there was a user named Michael Miller who wrote that he had a friend who worked in the white house in the seventies and dreamy actor Paul Newman visited. <laughs> and word spread around the office, and lots of women were, like, all excited that he was there. They're all giddy. So they started collecting at the various entrances of the White House to be like, ooh, it's Paul Newman. But he saw all these women, and he was just like, I don't have time for this. Like, can you guys – do you have a back door or something? And this Miller guy's friend was given the task to escort Mr. Hmm. Newman out of the building via one of the tunnels, apparently. So. Wow. Yeah, we have that story, but again, it's just hearsay. That's what, that's what Miller says. Uh, fun fact, Paul Newman's queso is awful. It is, it is <laughs> Don't awful. Don't buy that man's queso. Don't. I, know, I know he's not alive anymore, but... Alex really despised that queso. Like, we ordered the cheese. Alex bought the cheese just hoping that it was going to be yummy. And I don't think I've ever well, heard him complain about a food quite as much as the Paul Newman queso. I gagged when I ate it. That's how bad it was. And his other stuff isn't bad. I was about to say, the, the marinara is not bad. It's not no, great. No, but... his, all, all the other food I've ever had from that brand, delicious. That one, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Now, maybe I got a bad batch. You probably. I bet you anything, with your luck, you got a, a little container that was like four months expired. Maybe. Mm-hmm. It tasted like vomit. Alex, don't use me. that word. That makes me sick to my belly. <laughs> Anyways, back to the tunnels, you guys. Yeah. I'm sorry. We Enough took a little detour. Paul Newman's case. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I found an article on whitehousehistory.org that basically said that there are no secret tunnels or places in the White House, like at all. They said there's no secret places, which pff, I don't believe that one bit. Mm. I don't believe that one bit. Then I found an article on whitehouse.gov1.info backslash tunnel. <laughs> okay. And that website basically said that there are secret tunnels. And I say secret like in quotation marks. I know you can't see me, listener, but I'm doing it. There are quote unquote secret tunnels, Mm. um, which like we're talking about them right now, which means they're really not secret. It's just like we don't know anything about them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But yeah, there are tunnels that are built so the presidents can escape and go into hiding if if they need. Mm. It must be nice to escape down a little tunnel underneath your house whenever something happens. But... (laughs) The <laughs> what's the, oh James has a tunnel under his house. Did you know that? Yeah, hand dug. Yeah, hand dug. <laughs> Anyways, the tunnel system, according to covertconcepts.com, which I think is an architecture website or something like that. Anyways, construction of the tunnels actually started in the 1950s. And we don't exactly have specs of these tunnels, but we know they run there because it's 
we know that they're there. That's all you need to know. Mm. But unbeknownst to me, there's also a secret metro access tunnel that connects the White House and a ton of other prominent political buildings around D.C., which shouldn't surprise me, but it did for some reason. Hmm. It's a little subway line that runs alongside the public one. And it connects like the White House to the Pentagon and the State Department, etc. Hmm. This is all according to covert concepts. But in all reality, there's actually a pretty reasonable explanation for tunnels and secret rooms built underneath the White House. Because in D.C., they have very strict rules on how tall buildings can be. So when buildings get as tall as the law will permit, the only place to grow is down. So there are actually tons of buildings in D.C. with underground floors and tunnels and whatnot. Mm. It's not that unusual. But I remember when I was in fifth grade, little fifth grade CC went to D.C. And we visited some prominent political building. I can't remember which one it was. Caitlin, you might know because I know you were there with me. But they took us from one side of the building to the other via an underground tunnel. So... They're not that uncommon. Hmm. And according to the Wikipedia, the White House is actually, it has six levels. Hmm. There's the ground floor, the state floor, the second floor, the third floor, as well as two basement stories. So, hmm. yeah, guys. That makes me think of uh, Peoc. Are you familiar with Peoc, CC? I sure am, James. Oh. And I might be talking about it here in a minute. Oh, good deal. How dare you? <laughs> okay, so I found another website. <laughs> whitehousedown.fandom.com Oh my god. <laughs> Based on the movie. Oh, the movie White House Down. Starring Channing Tatum and Gemma Fox. Tatum. Tatum. Oh, what a movie. But there apparently are tunnels like in that movie. There's like a, that's a big part of it. I haven't. It's been so long since I've seen that I can't remember. But Have you seen this movie? Yeah, we saw it. We watched it together. Okay. I was excited because Channing Tatum was in it. But <laughs> The website, the website says that the tunnels actually don't exist, according to the fandom website. Um, and I would imagine they mean just like as they exist within the movie. I would wouldn't you know go so far as to say that they don't think there are any secret tunnels. But they mention that it's rumored that President Gerald Ford had tunnels made because he didn't want the general public to see him in his bathing suit, mm. which seems a little far fetched to me. But you never know. I never thought we would source. White House down. Whitehousefandom.com. <laughs> oh my goodness. But there are also rumors, and this is something that Caitlin wanted me to mention specifically, that John F. Kennedy would use the tunnels to have the Secret Service sneak women, mm-hmm. oftentimes sex workers, into the White House. And it's like I knew that JFK was su- supposedly a womanizer and a sex addict, but I read an article on allthatsinteresting.com that really went into what he would do. And apparently he would take pictures and keep them as trophies and then get them framed from all of his little escapades. Yeah, JFK was basically just Dennis from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia in the White House. Mm. That's exactly what who I thought of. <laughs> apparently wear masks. Like there were some pictures that like had him in a mask. Hmm. That's what it said. Although you can't really tell because it's him in a mask, but. I am a golden god. (laughs) (laughs) But this is one thing I also thought was like, can you imagine if JFK had social media back then? What would he be posting? Yeah. (laughs) But some of his photos uh, would have probably been leaked if he did have. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. People would have hacked into his account and be like, ooh. But. (laughs) I checked on Quora because there's always a wealth of interesting information there. And someone asked, did JFK sneak Marilyn Monroe into the White House? And a guy named John Pennington provided an answer. And he advised that JFK and Monroe, they never made love in the White House. So she probs wasn't snuck in by the tunnels if she went. There are rumors that a hotel, I think it was in New York City. I think it was called like the Carlisle or something, but... There were rumors that Kennedy and Monroe apparently met there at one point, and some people believe that the hotel built a tunnel specifically so Monroe could meet JFK, which just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. But someone no, asked a worker like at the hotel. Nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, somebody asked a worker at the hotel if there was a secret tunnel, and the guy said he's been working there for decades and never has never found anything. So But why would you tell if you if it's a secret tunnel, why would you tell somebody? Yeah. Just- well, you got me there, babe. Anyways, the bunker under the east wing of the White House is called the Presidential Emergency Operations Center, Gems. Or PR. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the one that was built by Roosevelt during World War II. And in a book, First Lady Laura Bush actually wrote 
that uh, what happened, like her experience being evacuated to the Piauk when 9-11 happened. And of it, she writes, quote, I was hustled inside and downstairs through a pair of big steel doors that closed behind me with a loud hiss, forming an airtight seal. I was now in one of the unfinished subterranean hallways. A hallway is another word for a tunnel, y'all. Um, <coughs> underneath the White House, heading for the PIOC, the Presidential Emergency Operations Center, built for President Blank- Franklin Roosevelt during World War II. We walked along old tile floors with pipes hanging from the ceiling and all kinds of mechanical equipment. The PIOC is designed to be a command center during emergencies with televisions, phones, and communication facilities. And there are actually pictures of President Bush in the PIOC in the National Archives. Like, you can actually see those. So we've kind of seen what it looks like. We didn't get to see any of the tunnels, but hmm. we know what Piak kind of looks like. It looks like, to me, it looks like a um, a conference room that you would see in a, an old, old hotel. Oh. Like, you know, it's going to have that little divider in it that you can open and close. How exciting. I don't think they have that in theirs. But anyways, President Obama actually released a little information about some of the secret tunnels when he was in office. And he revealed that there's a command center under the West wing of the white house too. And it's used for emergency situations, obviously. And it's also a massive data and operation center where the military and various intelligence agencies can sync up. And it makes me think of like the Triskelion from the Marvel movies, just mm-hmm. a ton of people sitting at desks and tip, tip tapping away on their computers. Like, Oh, there's stuff going on. Let's all look at the data. So that's what it makes me think of. And the last thing I'll mention here is uh, it's just an article I found on aroundworkscompanies.com that was about what's in the White House basement, which I thought was interesting. And it had a lot of really just interesting little tidbits. But they write that there's a bowling alley, one built by Richard Nixon in 69. But Truman, he also had one at one point, but it was later turned into the Situation Room. So just a fun fact there. But there's also a carpenter shop, which feels, that kind of feels like something you would find in a basement. And they also have a flower shop, which I think is really cool. But down there, there's also the White House kitchen, a chocolate shop. Oh my gosh, I wish I had a chocolate shop in my basement. A doctor's office, the housekeeper's office, etc. So you guys, that is the White House underground layers slash tunnels. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I didn't talk Initially, I was going to cover some of these. The chocolate shop? Yeah, the chocolate shop, the, f- the flowers, you know, some of the other rooms, like the bowling alley. Can you imagine that being your job? Like, uh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a chocolatier in case the world ends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I'm just like, it's like a little underground town for the president to enjoy all of the, the nicer things in life, the hmm? finer things. Yeah, I read about some presidents doing some wrestling. Yeah. And stuff like that. It's pretty surprised. funny. Um, but I ended up going a different direction and Caitlin, sorry if it didn't go the way you wanted it to, but I found something very interesting and I couldn't pass it up. It does have to deal with the white house a little bit. Uh, so I'm going to go, I'm actually going to cover the time that UFOs flew around DC and even directly above the white house. Like in the movie independence day. Maybe the funny thing about it is that like in many ways it's, this isn't even really a secret. On July 19th, 1952, at 11.40 p.m., an air traffic controller named Edward Nugent spotted seven blips on the radar. Oof, that's a lot of blips. Yeah, 15 (laughs) miles southwest of D.C. And uh, at the time, there was, like, nothing scheduled to be flying in the area. So, uh, not only that, like, these blips were actually showing up on no known flight paths. Mm. Yeah, so very odd. Aerospace is so heavily monitored, too, that that's just, that's kind of outlandish that it could even happen. Yeah. Yeah. And even more so in the D.C. area. Yeah. Um, So he called a superior in to try to help him, and even he didn't really know what to make of it. So they checked to make sure everything was working properly. I kind of pictured them, like, unplugging and plugging everything back in. Restart it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But they determined nothing was wrong, so... They called the other traffic controllers in the area. There's another airport, and they called the controllers at their airport, Air Andrews Air Force Base, to see if they had uh, readings that were coming up on their radars as well, so they could like compare and contrast. And well, sure enough, both locations had the exact same readings. So it was legit. So it was legit. The National Airport's controllers even 
says that they physically spotted one of the objects themselves. And he said it was a bright light in the distance that traveled at incredible speed. It was an orange ball of fire and that it had a tail. Now, a pilot by the name of Captain S.C. Casey Pierman, while waiting to take off at one of the airports, spotted a series of fast-moving lights that looked like, and his description's a little different, white, tailless, fast-moving light, like falling stars without tails. For some reason, I'm just picturing, like, the Jetsons flying above the water. I was picturing that medieval (laughs) painting that looks totally like UFOs. Both are probably true. (laughs) Um, Two other members of the military actually spotted an orange-red light, which they described as able to stand still, change altitude and direction on a dime, which is, you know, impossible, even with modern technology, unless it's a drone. But even then, it doesn't move at the speeds that they're talking about. And what year was this? 1952. Okay, so yeah, this was a while ago. Yeah. Apparently, like, these blips or these ships kept doing this. Like, they kept moving around. One person described it as, like, watching kids play because... The ships were moving so erratic, sometimes they would all sync up and do something at the same time. It looks like most of the time they were just zigging and zagging. And like, it looked like somebody was driving it and having a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of what he described it as. So while watching these blips on the radar, two of them approached the White House where they arrived and hovered for. And I'm quoting the article here. They said they hovered for some time. So uh, I don't know how long that is. I think it is actually quite a while because before uh, I'll get to it here in a minute because we're not done with the night yet. Okay. Um, before finish, finally vanishing instantly. So they're just like boop. Yep. They're just hanging out. Over, they're just hanging out for a little while over the White House and then vanished from sight. Goodbye. Then they came back, did more maneuvers, did ninety degree turns. Uh, speeding up, slowing down, and even going in reverse. And then the they decided to see, send some of the US, U.S. Air Force Starfire jet fighters out to them. Because they're like, uh, yeah, we can't do this. Like, this is kind of getting really bad. They're over the White We've House. Got, <laughs> exactly. They're over the White House. They're doing whatever they want. Go take them out. So as soon as they launched these uh, jets and they entered the D.C. airspace, all the blips vanish. And mm. they were... The planes circled and drove around until they were almost out of fuel, and then they went back to the airport. Well, as soon as they leave the DC airspace, Did the, they ships, come back? the ships showed back up, <laughs> and they continued darting around until 5.30 a.m. They put on their cloaking shields. <laughs> Very possible. So that means this started at 11.40 p.m. and ended at 5.30 a.m. That's a long time. That's a long time. I'm surprised it took them so long to get uh, planes out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I am too. Well, a lot of people probably didn't think it didn't take it too serious either. I guess, but newspapers throughout the country actually had this story on the front page. This was wide, widely known knowledge. Uh, Edward Rupelt, uh, the supervisor for Project Blue Book. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, he was. Which is part of the Air Force's investigation into UFO sightings. We've mentioned this before. Uh, He was alerted to these events, but not by the Air Force, but by the newspapers the next morning. (laughs) So his own organization didn't tell him about it. Uh, Apparently, he was going to try to go to a location to inspect the scene, but they kept throwing these roadblocks in his way. They wouldn't let him use a staff car. Every single person was getting in his way, whether it was on the plane or anywhere he went. And it became such a hassle and almost like an impossibility for him to get there. He just said, screw it. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to uh, HQ in Daytona. So he flew there. He even got there and just could not get through all the red tape. And so he had to go back to Dayton, Ohio. How would the director of Project Blue Book not be able to get in? How did the director of Project Blue Book not get notified about this story until he saw the newspaper? That's a bit bit suspicious. A week later... On July 26, 1952, a National Airlines flight into Washington radioed that they had seen some strange lights above their plane. Immediately after they called the report in, weird blips came back in. And they were back, but this time, there was 12 blips. So, you know, about five more than last time. According to witness Charles E. Cummings, he said that these lights did not have the characteristics of shooting stars. There were no trails. 
and they traveled fast, faster than any shooting star I've ever seen. And, hmm. you know, they're all doing this very similar routine the last time, zigzagging, doing all these things. They clocked uh, the speeds of going up to 7,000 miles per hour. At 11.30 p.m., two jets were scrambled again to take these out. This time, the ships disappeared again. The planes turned and started heading back to the airport, but they weren't really heading back to the airport. Where did they go? They were turning back around again. Hmm. They, they planned it to do it the opposite of what happened last time, where they went back. This time, they acted like they were going back, and then they turned back around. And it turns out it was maybe a good idea because one of the pilots actually spots one of the crafts. He said, I tried to make contact with the bogeys below 1,000 feet. I saw several bright lights. I was at maximum speed. But even then, I had no closing speed. I ceased chasing them because I had no chance of overtaking them. That'd be so scary. Yeah. (laughs) Eventually, some of the ships went back to the White House and hovered there for quite a while at 1,700 feet. And then, once again, vanished. Newspapers reported this, and, you know, they're in a tizzy. President Harry Truman demanded that the uh, Air Force figure out what happened. Like, <laughs> no one can explain anything that's happened. He's bad. Yeah, tell me something. In a conference, three days after this incident, on July 29th, the Air Force chalked it up to a weather inversion. Which is just a layer of warm air. It's worse than swamp gas. Wow. That makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. It's a layer of warm air that traps a layer of cold air. And it can make blips appear on a radar. And there is a record of that being a possibility that night. But the problem is everyone, including some scientists, have already determined that it's not like this. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, these are trained professionals, and these trained professionals know what an inversion actually looks like. Well, then they also had that one Air Force guy who says he saw and tried to chase mm-hmm. the ball of light. Yep. There's lots of firsthand accounts of spotting these things. So, yeah, they chalked it up to several things. And you would not believe how many things they chalked it up to. Yeah. And this is during a conference. <laughs> In one conference, they chalked it up to inversions, weather balloons, street lights, Venus, Misidentified meteors and stars and <laughs> flocks of birds. That's a lot of birds. All in one press conference. Wow. And guess what? Everyone bought it. Everyone bought it? Everyone dro- bought it. The story was dropped. People kept quit talking about it. Yeah. Rupelt, so. however, wasn't satisfied. So <laughs> he went back to interview a lot of these people that had given these testimonials about what had happened to him. Yeah. And he just kind of, you know, he's Project Blue Book. He's got to figure out, he's got to understand why these things have occurred and whether he needs to debunk them or not. Yeah. So he goes and he speaks with some of these people. A lot of them indicate that the Air Force had already been there to talk to them. Mm. And these people also had changed their story. You know, one guy changed his story from a huge fiery... Sphere to, oh, it was actually a star. I mean, technically a star is a huge fiery sphere, but... <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. The funny thing, though, is that according to his news story about the star, it's not possible because there's no star chart that would have lined up with his story to make him think that. So it looks like there's a big cover-up on this one. That's a bit weird. It's a big cover-up. Well, I would be suspicious when they gave... Seven different explanations within the same press conference. Yeah. And, they, and they, they had scientists already confirming, like, yeah, these are not inversions. Like, these are not inversions. And then they're like, yeah, these are inversions. Um, also, birds. Birds. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't realize that there were. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised because it's like the White House is such a popular place. I mean, it's crazy. That this is a two, new, two news stories across the country. Everyone knew about this thing. And then one news conference three days later, just done. Uh, uh, just done half assed. <laughs> just swept it under the rug. No problem. And it was under the rug until Alex yeah. he you know why? lifted it. Because those aliens contacted Harry Truman while they were floating above his place. Wasn't Harry Truman a big like didn't he wasn't he interested in aliens? Who? Truman. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
Talk about being vulnerable. I mean, really, if anything, that's what they were probably doing. They were literally showing us, look, you guys think you're all great just because you entered the atomic age? You ain't nothing. (laughs) Well, James, Sir James, I am excited to hear what you were talking about today. What are you talking about? Well, Alex was talking about aliens. I'm covering the other half of the uh, paranormal coin. I'm covering ghosts. Yeah, the uh, the White House has a lot of ghost stories, tons, in fact, um, and most of them aren't former presidents. Um, so, little backstory: a lot of people just sort of associate the White House with the U.S. presidency from its inception, but that's not the case. Uh, Washington and uh, well, Washington, he he actually did not live in the White House because it didn't exist. Uh, the Capitol was D.C. or DC. The capital <laughs> was, was yeah. The capital was Philadelphia up until yeah. like 1797, 1798, and then it was moved to DC. And when it was moved to DC, uh, it was a huge downgrade, you guys, because Philadelphia has been a long established metropolitan area. It was a big city back then, and that was one of the reasons why it was chosen to be the capital. DC was just like a little swamp town. Like it was, it was nothing like how we, we, what we see today. So the first inhabitants were John Adams and Abigail Adams. So when they, when they went down there day one, really, well, year one, whatever you want to call it, there was a ghost sighting like that early on. So yeah. And that was Abigail, which is kind of interesting because we know very little about this particular sighting, but now It's people who see her because now she used to actually uh, hang up the clothes to dry in the East Room because that was getting the most sunlight. Well, now people see her with her little lace shawl hanging up laundry. That's kind of sweet. Yeah, kind of, right? Another thing that people also don't often know about the White House or think about it, at least Canadians are a lot more mindful of this is that uh, it was burnt down once. Technically, there's been two White Houses. During the War of 1812, yeah. it was it was burned down. And speaking of Burns, <laughs> <laughs> um, David Burns, who actually sold the government most of, of the land that Washington, D.C. Is, is on, including that house, has been seen there. It's been seen? How do yeah. they know it's him? Because it looks like him. I mean, that's the thing. We we tend to think of it as like old timey period, but people had portraits, and people are recognizable from those portraits as well as their clothing. So and he that's, floats in going, yeah. No, he floats in going, I'm David Byrne. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a seamstress who worked there for thirty years, and her name was Lillian Parks, and uh, she wrote a memoir in sixty one, and regularly it's so funny that you said that cc i mean like i had to hold back from laughing (laughs) because presumably um there was a valet who told her that that fdr would regularly hear a disembodied voice from the oval room saying and i quote i'm mr No. Yeah. So yeah, that's how they. Maybe they all do know? it. That's how they announce themselves when they enter a room. Yeah, that, that's what ghosts do. It's just it's common manners, really. Yeah. yeah. But one person who I find very interesting in relation to all this, because she's they were such big a, on introductions in the old days. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, you know, in Lexington, you know, we got the Mary Todd Lincoln House. Uh, yeah. Mary Todd Lincoln was a very interesting person. She seemed completely bananas. Um, she had some issues. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She would have like nervous breakdowns over thunderstorms. And a lot of people think she just kind of roped poor Lincoln into being with her. Any, anyway, less or more interestingly, um, she was also a bit of an occultist. So she actually would hold seances in the white house, which is just no, crazy to think about now. What? Open up a portal. No, thank you. Right? Open up a portal in the White House. Can you imagine if that happened now? You know, like little throwback there to JFK's little uh, affairs. <laughs> Can you imagine if one of the first ladies now was holding flipping like <laughs> like a cult sessions trying to channel spirits? People would lose their <laughs> minds. We would never know about it, James. I bet you they do it all the time. That's probably true. 
But uh, yeah, she would actually hold seances and she swore up and down that uh, President Andrew Jackson would stomp and cuss up the halls, which speaking of, of that, this is just this has nothing to do with ghosts, but it's just a fun fact. A lot of people don't think about how scary George Washington was. George Washington was abnormally tall for the day. He had ivory teeth from animals and slaves, basically. He spoke in just swear words for the most part. He like like accounts of him. He was this kind of, this really tall soldier man who would walk into a room and just cuss a bunch to the point that you needed a translator for some of his troops. That's how like profane he was. He was shot multiple times. And the gun, the gunshots have only been visible on his clothing. They never actually pierced his body uh, in battle. Mm-hmm. George Washington is like a demon or something. <laughs> it's so bizarre, like just stuff about him. And, but anyway, so <laughs> um, in 1901, there was a fellow named Jeremiah Smith, and he worked in the White House when Grant was in charge as a footman. And uh, – he actually put on many hats during his relatively brief stint there. I mean, he only worked there for like three years, but he, he, he was like a footman and a cook and a doorman and just a bunch of stuff. Um, or uh, Sorry, I misspoke, 35 years. Anyway, people really like this guy, like the media. They would love to talk to him because he would just tell all these interesting stories about working there. And one of those stories is that – he saw many ghosts, Lincoln, Grant, McKinley, a whole bunch of first ladies. So take that however you want. He, he, this is probably the softest story, in my opinion, because this guy seems kind of shady. <laughs> <laughs> but one really odd spirit um, is, okay, so there's this 15-year-old boy, and Taft ran into this boy. Mm-hmm. At the the White House, we have no idea. We have no idea. You know, everybody else I've mentioned has a name and history connected. We have no idea who this kid is. Mm-hmm. But Taft ran into him, was really freaked out. Um, he said that he felt pressure on his shoulder uh, whenever he saw it, and he actually told um, um, Archibald Butt, a major, his military aide, to. Uh, Actually, keep that so secret, his encounter, he was so bothered by it, that if anybody repeated it, they would be fired. And I guess nobody Ooh. repeated it until he was out of office? Right. That's that's the thing that I've been wondering about. Like, so who told the story? I'm assuming, I'm assuming after he did his stint at the White House, it was Archibald Butt who ultimately published it. Yeah. So... Yeah, here's here's a list of some of the interesting ghosts that lots of people see, though, including tourists. So there's John Tyler, um, and people see him proposing to his wife in the blue room. Aww. Yeah, kind of a nice one. Dolly Madison, she's in the Rose Garden. Thomas Jefferson plays the violin in the Yellow Oval Room, which we've mentioned before. Yeah. As where people sometimes hear, uh, <laughs> Mr. Burns. Um, <laughs> Andrew Jackson is sometimes seen in the Queen's bedroom, a.k.a. the Rose Room, uh, lying in bed and laughing loudly. And this is one that people have. Yeah. Well, this is one that people have seen and heard since the 1860s. That's a long time. Yeah. A lot of people have seen that one. Willie Lincoln, uh, he died in the White House and he has been seen by staff members of the Grant administration. Lincoln himself, of course, appears in the Lincoln bedroom and the Yellow Oval Room. The Yellow Oval Room seems to be the most haunted, by the way. Hmm. Um, but Lincoln's the most interesting one. I hinted to you guys. I don't think we were being recorded, but I hinted to you guys that a very well-known person saw Abraham Lincoln's ghost. Yeah? Who was it? Well, actually, several have, including Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands and First Lady Grace Coolidge. But the one that's most interesting to me, he was there on a diplomatic visit during World War II, is Winston Churchill ran into Lincoln's ghost. Oh my goodness. And was very shook up by it. Now, to be fair, Winston Churchill drank like 10 scotches a day, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm inclined to to believe that component of his story. Well, if there are lots of other people who have seen it too. Yeah. 
Um, I, I'm most interested, though, oddly enough, in the strangest one. That's David Burns. And it's just because he owned the land. Like, he, he was not a, a part of the White House staff. He was never a dignitary or a president. But he owned the land. And that just that, that's something that I think about sometimes because I think the connection to land a lot of times has a deeper draw than the connection to a structure. I feel like, but uh, I, don't, I don't know. I feel yeah. like a structure is also just just as important, especially sure. since like okay. there's so much stuff that happens in the White House that we can't even like fathom or begin yeah. to imagine. So, well, you know, one thing that happens in the White House is people die. Oof. And William Henry Harrison was actually the first president to die in the White House. And people still see him in the attic. Why is he in the attic? I don't know. That's where they buried, that, <laughs> that's where they buried him. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> still there. Um, there was a British soldier who died in the War of 1812. And some people say they see him holding a torch. I find that one to be a little more skeptical because it's like, well, whatever. Um, Anna Sorrett bangs on the doors of the White House, begging to see Andrew Johnson. She was actually, this really did happen. Um, uh, her mom helped conspire in the assassination that killed Lincoln. Mm. And she actually, her, her daughter, Anna Surrett, went there to beg Andrew Johnson to pardon her. Hmm. Yeah. That would be emotional. Right? Yeah. I mean, what a, what a, I mean, I mean of course, you know, what are the odds of that? working out you know yeah well, i just want to know like oh, man. i feel like there's got to be some type of emotional like maybe it's these spirits played like on a loop from very emotional moments well you know that's what i've said before that i think a lot of what we think of as ghosts it's not really the consciousness of people necessarily but it's 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 like uh echoes in time um you know I, i've mentioned before i've compared it to how gravity uh, produces such immense mass that it actually causes a well in space time and that's what where why planets orbit massive bodies like the sun and why uh smaller bodies like moons orbit planets well similarly a temporal dip from something that's you know psychically very charged and and intense i think can cause these kinds of loops well like that that one president proof of that, just <laughs> laughing his head off while lying in bed yeah. Well, Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. Andrew or Jackson. Blah. I just, Andrew Jackson. Yeah. It's just to me, it's bonkers that there are so many ghosts within. And I know it's a very yeah. important building. Exactly. But just the fact that you there's know, so well, many. what's most interesting are the people who've witnessed it because some of them, like I said, they're valets and people who are maybe inclined to exaggerate things. But I mean, Calvin Coolidge's wife, for example, she was actually the first person to openly say, "I saw Lincoln's ghost." She said that she was actually like saw him standing and looking out the window of the Oval Office across the Potomac to the battlefields, which that's a hell of a way of saying it. That's romantic as I'll get out how she drummed it up. Uh, but similarly, Lady Bird Johnson, Lyndon Johnson's wife, said that she was actually watching a program about his death and felt his presence in the room while she was watching it. Hmm. Mm-mm. But easily, you know, and I'm, I'm echoing that, but easily, like, probably the most well-known sighting. Um, and during a similar period that uh, Churchill saw it, Eleanor Roosevelt actually used uh, the Lincoln bedroom as her study. And she said that she would regularly feel his presence when she was in that room. I wonder if it was a nice presence or like a, hey, I'm going to go down to the Positive. kitchen and eat something. Okay. <laughs> and wait till it leaves. I, yeah. See? But my favorite thing about Churchill's sighting is that he, this is a fun fact about Churchill, by the way. Churchill was a bit of a nudist. He uh, he loved to lay around in a bath and smoke a cigar at the same time, which how hedonistic can you get? And, uh, you know, the scotch on top of that. But he loved being naked so much that people often just saw him naked. Like his secretaries had to deal with it. He would just be naked while he took dictation. Um, but he was he was stark naked in the bath when he saw Lincoln. So he was in a very vulnerable position. Yeah, that would, that would be – that would be very bothersome. <laughs> well, James, you just convinced me as to why I'm never going to run for the presidency because I <laughs> wouldn't want to live there if there are ghosts popping up every left and right. Mm. How 
If you if you had to see the ghost of a president, which one would you want to see? I think Lincoln would be the one. I mean, maybe not. You know, what's what he showing up? Does he look like? Does he look like Lincoln? Does he look like like he's been shot like in a horror movie? I bet you he looks mm. beautiful. Regal. Regal. He's so lanky. Like I can just imagine him reaching out with those arms oh. like slender. Yeah, that's horrifying. That's me. a good point. I feel like he would be the most recognizable. Like if I saw anybody else there, I would be like, oh, I need to <laughs> need to look up my history book and see who this is. But <laughs> I don't want to see any of them. <laughs> None of them. Yeah, George Washington shows up. And since he had wooden teeth, he just shows up. He just gums. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, you guys, I think this is it. This is a fun one. Caitlin, thank you again for submitting this topic. We've talked about the White House and its secrets. Is there anything you guys want to add before we draw from the vase? Because we're going back to the normal vase for next week. Um, yeah, you can listen to uh, the music is by Grant Cook. You can find it on Amazon Music, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you listen to music. Anywhere you listen to music. So, Alex, hmm. draw. Okay, you guys. Next week, we are talking about unidentified submerged objects or usos and this topic was submitted to us by danielle so danielle thank you for saying that topic in i did not know that usos were a thing until danielle sent this in because she just said usos and i had to ask her what's a uso oh okay she told me so um we're talking about aliens next week so alex i think that you you'll get to do a little bit more alien research I'm always down for some alien research. Always down for some aliens. All right. Well, I think that that's it. Um, if you guys want to follow us online, we do have an Instagram page at 13th Floor Podcast. And if you have a topic that you want to submit for the vase, you can send it to me there. Or if you wanted to make it into the elite Patreon vase, you can also send that to us. But you got to be a patron. Which, If you want to learn more about that, you can... Check out our website, 13thfloorpodcast.com, and sign up there. So, you guys, I think that's it for this week. Yeah. Yep. All right. Good. So, you guys, until next week, we hope that you can keep it strange. Everybody put on your ball gowns. Let's dance. Mm-hmm.